Thank you for listening to today's episode of JTCast, the official podcast of the Journal of Athletic Training. I'm your host, Luke Donovan. This month, we'll discuss two articles over two short episodes from the recent issue of the Journal of Athletic Training. The first episode will discuss a validation clinical case report of exertional heat stroke in a high school cross-country runner. For the second episode, we'll discuss Taylor cartilage deformation following exercise in individuals with chronic ankle instability. As a reminder, the article discussed today can be found on the JAT website, natajournals.org. And please remember that all content from JAT is open access to all readers, thanks to the funding from the National Athletic Trainers Association. The title of the first article is Proper Recognition and Management of Exertional Heat Stroke in a High School Cross-Country Runner, a Validation Clinical Case Report. Authored by Ms. Brianna Garrett and colleagues from the University of South Florida and the University of Connecticut. Let's survey the scene. As the summer temperature continues to rise and student-athletes begin to enter their respective training camps, let's take a moment to discuss a common heat-related condition. Exertional heat stroke is one of the most common causes of sudden death among athletes. Heat stroke has been defined as a neuropsychiatric impairment with a core temperature greater than 105 degrees Fahrenheit that, if not properly treated, can lead to permanent disability or death. The secondary school athletic population has the highest number of sudden death cases. Early diagnosis and treatment of heat stroke is key for preventing disability or death. The most common causes of death from exertional heat stroke are an inaccurate temperature assessment, misdiagnosis, delayed treatment, inefficient cooling, and immediate transport to the emergency department. As such, it is imperative for all athletic trainers and other sports medicine clinicians to apply the best evidence pertaining to early recognition and treatment of heat stroke. Specifically, in the event that an athlete presents with signs and symptoms of heat stroke, body temperature should be measured rectally as opposed to oral, tympanic, axillary, or forehead measures, given that the later techniques are not accurate once the body temperature reaches a certain level. As the body temperature rises, the non-rectal methods of assessment become even more inaccurate. As far as treatment, the best practice is cold water immersion and to cool the patient below a temperature of 102 degrees before transporting to the hospital. Despite the overwhelming and strong evidence related to diagnosis and treatment of heat stroke, a study that examined the attitude and perceptions of athletic trainings regarding heat stroke management found that only 13% of athletic trainers used rectal thermometry and 41% used cold water immersion. The most common reasons as to why rectal temperature was not assessed were lack of equipment and budget, concerns of a lack of consent, especially with minors, and a lack of training or concerns about privacy. Since this study, some athletic trainers have anecdotally reported that their emergency action plans have been revised to implement the best practices for the recognition and treatment of exertional heat stroke. One group of researchers have published success in treating hundreds of patients with heat stroke during road races using a protocol consisting of rectal temperature assessment and cold water immersion treatment. However, until this case report, no cases have been published about the proper implementation of evidence-based recommendations in the pre-hospital management of exertional heat stroke in the secondary school setting. This case occurred during a high school cross-country meet in early October within the southeast region of the United States. An athletic trainer and two athletic training students were present for the event and had a medical area comprised of a treatment table, cold tub, ice and water, and a heat stress tracker. 
At the start of the race, the wet bulb global temperature was 86.5 degrees. Approximately 30 minutes after the start of the event, the athletic trainer was summoned to the finish line where she found the 14-year-old patient being helped up by her mother. During the initial evaluation, the patient was conscious and hyperventilating, which prompted the athletic trainer to assist the patient with breathing techniques. Soon afterwards, the patient presented with central nervous system dysfunction and signs of heat stroke, such as disorientation, confusion, behavioral changes, slurred speech, muscle weakness, rapid breathing, flushed skin, and agitation. The patient's mother reported no pertinent medical information other than the patient having a cold and an upper respiratory illness earlier in the week. The athletic trainer assisted the patient to the medical area, where she explained to the patient's mother that heat stroke was suspected and that a rectal temperature was needed to confirm. The patient's mother consented and the core temperature was recorded at 106.9 degrees using a rectal thermistor. The athletic trainer then initiated the emergency action plan and called EMS. The patient was submerged in a cold water tub where an athletic training student recorded her temperature every minute and continued to stir the water. During the process, the athletic trainer continued to explain the treatment plan to the parent while they waited for the core temperature to decrease below 102 degrees. The patient remained submerged for 15 minutes. When she was removed and transported to the hospital by EMS, the patient's core temperature was 100.1 degrees and her CNS dysfunction was resolved. At the hospital, the patient received IV fluids and underwent blood and urine tests. The patient was discharged from the hospital on the same day. The authors report a couple unique characteristics of this case. First, exertional heat stroke is most common during the summer months and most reported during the first few days of preseason practices. This case occurred during the fall and nearly two months into the cross-country season. In addition, 90% of heat stroke-related deaths occurred during practices and not competition. It is thought that the unseasonably high wet bulb globe temperature and the reported cold likely contributed to the patient developing heat stroke during the race. This case reports the successful implementation of recommended practices for assessing and treating patients with exertional heat stroke, which ultimately resulted in the survival and full recovery of a patient experiencing heat stroke. As previously mentioned, a common barrier to implementing these practices, particularly taking a rectal temperature, is perceived lack of consent or other legal consequences. In this particular case, the athletic trainers had written document that outlined the emergency procedures that would be followed in the event of an exertional heat stroke episode, which was signed and approved by the medical director and the school administrators. The authors advocate that distributing a document and further educating all stakeholders, such as athletes, coaches, and parents, may alleviate some of the common perceived barriers to withholding best practice care. In summary, exertional heat stroke is a life-threatening condition. Although the consequences can be devastating, there are numerous effective strategies to reduce risk of athletes developing heat stroke, which include proper heat acclimatization, proper hydration, appropriate rest time, and appropriate response to wet bulb global temperatures, to name a few. In the event that a case of heat stroke does occur, it is recommended to 1. Activate EMS in your emergency action plan, 2. Assess core temperature rectally, 3. Cool the body using cold water immersion, Four, cool the patient to below 102 degrees before transporting to the hospital. When heat stroke is appropriately recognized and quickly treated, death is 100% preventable.
Before signing off, I want to acknowledge the tremendous efforts of the athletic trainer and the athletic training students who ensured that their patient would make a full recovery while facing this life-threatening condition by executing the best practices. I also want to echo the author's acknowledgement and thank the patient and their parents for allowing for this publication of this case. Well, that's it for today's JT Cast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast, which is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Stitcher. You can find out more information about upcoming podcasts and other JET events on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts at JET underscore NATA. Thank you for listening and keep a lookout for our next JET Cast episode.